Thank you, Howard, the worship team, for leading us in those songs. And I appreciate the, uh, as I was singing it the second time this morning, I appreciate the, the hymn. I appreciate that. It's always good to sing a, those oldies. Uh, uh, kind of ministers to us older folks in the congregation, you know, that grew up on hymns. Uh, man, that's a, that's a great one. And I was, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I was, I was ready to shout hallelujah after that song. Uh, that was a, uh, that was a great truth. Praise the Lord for the firm foundation we have in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to send a warm welcome to all of our guests who are with us, whether you just moved in the city, welcome. Uh, whether you travel from afar, good to have you with us. Uh, from all the way from Korea, glad to have you with us. Uh, and from nearby uh, as well, we're so glad to have all the uh, various uh, visitors and return visitors. But always, of course, glad to have the church family with us. Hope the church family, hope you had a wonderful time yesterday. Uh, we had a good time at our picnic, so that was great. The weather was cooperative out there in the peninsula. Uh, so it was a wonderful time. I want to just extend our, you know, uh, just the, our appreciation uh, for those of you who served. We really think give thanks to God for those of you, a special events committee, just put it all together. And many of you who volunteered to serve, to cook, to clean up, set up. We appreciate it. You made the uh, just a, a wonderful time for our church to come together and to be together uh, uh, because of our common bond in Christ. And that was an encouragement. To, and if you, you know, you missed it, you weren't able to attend, well, you know, uh, they'll be next year. But if you're even before that, we're going to have a church retreat where we can all be together as well. So I'm going to plug that right now. Be, uh, come and join us. Unless you all want to just go on a mission trip to Japan together. We can do that too. Uh, but I think we have a little more than 100 here. Anyways, as uh, we continue our worship, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49 is where we're going to be today. Luke six thirty-nine to 49. The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. And I will be reading the, the scripture within the sermon, so I won't be uh, reading it prior uh, this morning, though. Yeah, no, no time. Okay, <clears throat> let me pray one more time before we look to God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and your word is truth. And Lord, we ask that as we listen to your word, help us, Father, to be more than just hearers of your word, but doers of it as well. And God, we know that we cannot do this in and of our own strength. And we thank you for your spirit that dwells within us. And we pray that your spirit would illuminate our minds, that you bring the the truths of your word to bear upon our lives. And God, we pray that you would use your word to show us more of who you are, show us more of who we are called to be. And Lord, may you use your word to shape and fashion this church to be the church that you wish us to be here in this corner of your world. Thank you, God, for being our creator, our savior, and our Lord. We pray that as we continue listening to your word now, may it be our act of worship to, as we hear what Christ has to say to us as his disciples. These things we pray for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. When it comes, uh, when you think about the nation Israel, they were a very blessed nation, right? You think about in the Old Testament, how God of all the nations uh, in, on the world at that time, he chose small uh, well, not even before it was a nation. He small, chose one man, Abraham. Uh, in a sense, nobody special out of Ur of Chaldees. And to him, he gave him the promise, the Abrahamic covenant, and made promise that in him, a mighty nation would arise. And that mighty nation, God would use to, be, to bless all the families of the earth. And that promise is, uh, God keeps his, keeping his promise. But, you know, Israel, just think about it. They had not only the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the, the priestly covenants, and all the, the, God made these various unique promises to their nation, to their forefathers. And he reiterated to their fathers time and time again. Not only that, but you think about the Mosaic covenant. God gave Israel, of all the nations, he gave them the, the law of God. 
And the law of God was all these instructions about how they might approach God, our creator. God didn't choose um, many of us here, uh, whatever country you may resident. God didn't choose the Americans for him the, some, to reveal the word of God, the law of God. He chose Israel of all nations. He chose them through which not only he would reveal to them how man could approach them, but then to them he allowed them to have the temple, the one place on earth, the tabernacle and then the temple, where the glory of God dwelt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if there was a place like that even in America right now where you you could go there and that's where the glory of God is? I think all of us would be flocking there. We'd want to be near the glory of God. But that one was Israel. They had not only that, but all these blessings and the promises through the prophets of old. And, you know, for Israel, what happened, of course, is what happens to most human beings when you have so rich in blessings is that we take it for granted. We all take it for granted. And it's not just Israel, but it's us, too. Here we are, a Bible church today, a Bible church. And we have, we call ourselves a Bible church because we, we believe in what, that the Bible is the word of God. And we believe that God has given his word to mankind and, to, and this entails in the Old and New Testament. It reveals to us not only his will, but it reveals to us Jesus Christ and his will for us and his words, his teachings. But the same thing happens to you and, I, you and me. Well, at least it happens to me. I don't know about you, but it happens to me. We sometimes take the word of God for granted, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. It's easy to take these things for granted. We, we've come in here, I don't know if, how many Sundays I've stepped into a church? Hundreds probably by now. Well, I've come in, I've, I've done the same things, I've gone through all the, the singing, I, I, we, we praise God, I have fellowship, I shake thousands, a lot of people's hands, uh, we listen to somebody preach, we sing songs, and, you know, and it's good. Um, especially good when you don't have it and you realize what a blessing we have. But we, uh, because we're so blessed, just like the Israelites, we sometimes take it for granted. We uh, many and sadly, there are sometimes many Christians, uh, especially as or uh, those who name the name of Christ, that they will attend church, they will listen to the preaching of God's word, uh, and and yet they will live their lives not in light of it. They will be merely hearers of God's word and not doers. And we think of James when we think of this. James uh, writes down in James chapter one verse twenty two, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And I love uh, the illustration that he gives right after that. It's like, you know, many of us looked in the mirror today, I hope. Uh, did you forget what you looked like? Hopefully not. But that's how the illustration he used, right? You say, you looked in the mirror, you walked away, and you forgot. Well, that's exactly what it means. when That's what it's like when we're hearers of the word, but we don't do it. And let me give you a warning right now. A lot of us are in danger of that in about 45 minutes. Because we're hearing the word of God. And we're going to walk out here and we're going to be thinking, where am I going to go eat? You know, a genuine Christian with a genuine faith in Christ will not only hear God's word, but will obey it as well. Now, I know in this room of Christians, everybody would say, yes, we are to obey God's word. All of us would agree to that. Nobody says, I can ask my kids, should you obey God? And they say, yes. But do they obey God's word? No, they don't. And the same goes for you and me. Because a lot of times we think it's automatic. We think we're just going to obey God's word by automatic. We're not actively, willfully thinking about our lives, examining our lives. In today's passage, we're actually going to see uh, encouragement for us to examine our lives. 
examine our lives, some ways we can examine our lives in a way that will help us, encourage us to uh, a faithful obedience to Christ. Jesus' words here in our text is, uh, will clarify for those who follow him that, uh, that discipleship, following Jesus Christ, being a, his disciple, involves obedience. It's more than just listening to sermons, more than reading your Bibles, more than just attending Bible conferences and listening to a whole host of podcasts on the radio. Following Jesus means being a doer, a representative, one who speaks, one who acts like Christ on behalf of Christ. This is the concluding sermon uh, in our series on the Sermon on the Plain here in Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 49. And Jesus, in the context, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, Jesus in this context has been facing increasing opposition. And he understands that he, this opposition is going to lead him to his inevitable death. He's going to die on the cross. That's why he came. In preparation for that, he chooses 12 of his disciples. 12 men whom he would call apostles. He would give them the special office as his representatives on earth with his authority. But as he comes down from the mountain after uh, choosing the twelve, he then begins to give a, a sermon to all his disciples, not just the twelve, but all of them that are gathered. And he prepares them for how they are to be, to be faithful as disciples of Christ in a world that will increasingly be opposed to the things of Christ, to Christ himself. And they'll be opposed to the people of Christ. This sermon has three parts that we looked at. So we looked at two of them so far, verse 20 and 26. We've looked at the kingdom blessings and woes. Jesus gives a word of encouragement, uh, promising blessings to those who are faithful to him and kingdom woes to those who are going to be faithless to him. Secondly, we, last time we looked at the kingdom love, in verse 27 to 38. Jesus, having prepared them, uh, warning them of the woes and blessings of faithfulness and uh, faithlessness and uh, relative. Uh, respectively, in verse 27 30, he reminds the disciples, though you follow me in a world that hates you, your response towards the world is to be characterized by love. I want you to love your enemies. A radical, selfless, divine kind of love that only by the power of God they could do. And then today we arrive at the final sermon is that Jesus then concludes his sermon in verse 39, 49 with a, a call to kingdom obedience. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be my disciples, then you need to live lives that reflect it. You need to live lives of obedience. And he challenges his disciples to examine their lives to see whether they follow him or not. And this is a good passage. Even though I, I would, you know, I look around the room, I see many of you here, and I say, yes, you, you, I know you're faithful followers of Christ. But just like if you are not monitoring your own health, and as I notice as I get older, if I don't take care of my health, I'm not aware of it. If I don't take a go to see my doctor on some regular basis, for some reason, my body's falling apart. Same thing can happen in the Christian life. If you're not monitoring your life, you're just kind of going automatic, think you're going to just not take a, well, you know, I got the Spirit, so the Spirit's going to do His magic in me, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk, be like all Christ-like. That's not a recipe for godliness. That's going to be a, a recipe for godlessness, because we're going to leave God, Christ out. And so Jesus makes his point in this text using a series of parables, illustrations from everyday life that bring to home a, a point. And the interesting thing about Jesus' parables is often he doesn't explain the meaning of them. 
it's, a, it's an illustration. It'll be an, uh, a metaphor from everyday life that people will get the metaphor, but its application will be, will, will, uh, will be kind of up to the listener to kind of figure out in the context of what he's saying. A lot of times when I hear parables, I think of stories. I think of those long ones like the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, the parable of the talents, you know, good lengthy kind of uh, uh, parables. But we're going to actually look here. The parables that Luke points out and that Jesus teaches are actually some of the shorter variety. They're the, the pithy ones. They're, they're, they're short, but they're power-packed. They're kind of like Proverbs. In many ways, they're like Proverbs. They're, they're kind of like a short little statement that you go, wow, that's full of rich truths. But, and nevertheless, they will all illustrate the point that Jesus is making. And so because these, uh, uh, these parables will cause us to challenge us to examine our life, I, I want to introduce to us or share with us three regular exams that encourage obedience in Christ. Three examinations of our lives that, uh, based upon the, pro- the parables in this passage, that as we practice them regularly, it will encourage a healthy kind of obedience in Christ in our lives. Not, not a legalistic kind of fearful obedience, but a, a re, an obedience that responds because we love God. We love Christ. Okay? So hopefully we'll, let's take a look at that and, and uh, may it be an encouragement to all of us. I know I needed to hear this passage. So let's, uh, let's look at it. Regular exam number one for those of us who are disciples of Christ to encourage us to obedience. And that is we all need vision exams. You know, I know I need vision exams quite regularly. Uh, but, you know, our eyes are really important because our eyes are one of the main ways in which we see the world. All right. And let's read verse 39 to 42. And you see this is Jesus, he'll give this par- a series of parables, actually, short, three series, three parables. But they have a common idea of eyesight, of vision. Parable eyesight. So 39 through 42. Let's look, take a look. All right. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 to 42. And he also spoke a parable to them. Uh, Jesus is speaking here. He's, he's speaking a parable to them. That is the disciples, according to verse 20. These are not just the, the, the regular crowd, but he's talking to those who would profess to be his students, his disciples, his learners. And he says this, these, this parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Here we see three figure, uh, three illustrations, three metaphors, three pictures presented by Jesus. There's a picture of a blind man guiding the blind. There's a picture of a, a pupil being like his teacher. And there's a picture of the, a speck or a log in one's eyes. And it's interesting, Luke actually describes, he says he also spoke a parable. Notice the singular. He spoke a parable, though in, in, in a way it's three parables. But because each of these uh, these parables convey one common central point, and that common central point is that we ought to examine one's spiritual condition, uh, Luke just refers to it as a parable. 
The imagery common in these verses is that of the condition of one's eye, uh, being blind and the, and the speck that's in one's eye, etc. So let's walk through these three uh, metaphors uh, together. The first metaphor we see here that Jesus teaches is this, is this parable is the blind man cannot guide. He's, he's actually saying that the blind man cannot guide. A blind man, can he? Now, Jesus doesn't answer the question because it's a rhetorical question. And I think you and I would be able to answer that. Can a blind man guide a blind man? No. And now, of course, we could say, oh, well, there's exceptions. Well, they have these tools and stuff like that. But generally, no. A blind man cannot guide a blind man because the blind man doesn't know where they're going. And so how can they guide a blind man? They can guide someone who else could, who could see, perhaps. But they cannot guide another blind person. If a person can't see, they cannot help anyone else find their way. Now, blindness here, this is just an illustration from uh, real life. There were probably people who had blindness quite commonly in their days. And there was, you know, know, not the level of care that we would have today uh, in our medical field. But blindness in the Old and New Testament is often a metaphor for basically failing to understand truth. Not grasping, not seeing the truth of a text, particularly the truths about Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul uses this imagery there. When he says, in whose case, he talks about the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, Satan is going around, he's blinding unbelievers to the truth. It's why when you share the gospel, even if you share it perfectly, we had evangelism training in our sensual class today. If you share the perfect gospel presentation, and you're like, man, I nailed it. I was so convicting. And they're like, they say, well, I still don't believe. Like, what? Because the God of this world has blinded their minds to the gospel truth. They just, you can share the same one to one person, share it to another person, and one will come to believe, one will not. It's because God is, uh, the God of this world is blinding them. Now, as Jesus is continuing to speak to his disciples, he's essentially warning them to make sure that they are not spiritually blind to Christ's teaching. That is, that they would make, that they would make sure that they, are, that they see and understand correctly the truths of Christ. And here's the, the kind of for, uh, encouragement for you and me. If you don't understand the truths of Christ, you can't teach others about Christ, Right? Here we are, disciples of Christ. We're called to make disciples. But if we don't understand the truths of Christ, if we're blind, then we can't teach others about Christ. And that's kind of, that's pretty straightforward. Now let's move into the second little imagery. Uh, or sorry, I'm back to blind man. Can I guide the blind? But second one is this, about how a pupil will be like his teacher. A pupil will be like his teacher. That word pupil, it's actually the word that's translated as disciple. It's a student, a learner. So this, Jesus is really, this is all in the context of disciples. Now, Actually, it says that a pupil cannot be, will not be a, a greater than his teacher. And will, when, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. However, in our modern day, you know, there's, when some, it, we actually see times when a student who learns from a professor at a school will then go on and, and become greater than the teacher. They'll make some greater discovery, right? So, oh, that, that, clearly that pupil was greater than his teacher. So what's, why is Jesus saying this? It's because we're trying to read our modern day understanding of, of education into the New Testament era. In the New Testament era, education was done not in a, necessarily in a school. Oftentimes, it was just by a pupil who would follow a teacher around. They would follow a teacher around, and that's how they would learn. The student's source of knowledge in those days was his sole source of knowledge, really, in those days, would be from his teacher whom he would follow and listen to. 
It's not like they would go out and, and be able to do independent research. It's not like they would generally go to library. Libraries are very rare. They would go to library and just read all the authors they want and go on the internet. They couldn't relearn like that. And so everything that a student learned would come from his teacher. So therefore, a student would never be above their teacher. They would, but when they learn from their teacher, when they're fully trained by their teacher, they will be like their teacher. Now, by saying this, Jesus is reminding his disciples of who then is their teacher. Who are they following? Who is their example to emulate, to follow, uh, his, follow, those, follow uh, his teachings? And then who is it that they are in turn to be an example of for their own students to imitate? And of course, that example is Jesus, right? As these disciples, they were to follow Jesus. They were, they were called so they would be with him. They would watch him. They would listen to him. And they would then, they would, by the grace of God, become more like him. We are, as disciples of Jesus, are to make sure that, our, that we are understanding and following Jesus rightly. That we understand his teachings. That we would imitate Jesus, that we would imitate what Jesus calls us to do and we would imitate his life. And here's the, 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 the challenge for us. If you are not imitating the example of Christ, you're not following Christ's teachings, then you cannot be an example of Christ for others, right? It's pretty straightforward. And thirdly, let's move on to the third little uh, illustration here. That of a speck or a log in one's own eyes. And this is very, very familiar to many of us. And when you read this, it's actually, it's a, a very familiar, but it, and it, it's actually, when I've read it, and read it enough times, I, this is actually hilarious. It's kind of funny when you read it. It's like, this is, I mean, because this, this is not actually one of those, like, real life things where you actually have somebody walk around with a log in their eye, okay? It, it's just what happened. But Jesus, but they all knew what a speck was, because a speck was like um, when they would throw chaff in the air, you know, when they're uh, uh, going through the wheat. Some of those little tiny pieces of chaff would get lodged in people's eyes. And that would be the speck in their eye, okay? But, so a log, here the story is, now a person has a, a log in their eye. That's a parable. And the kicker is, they don't even know it. Okay, the, you know, if you could just, it's not real life, but just imagine someone walking around with a log in their eye, sticking out, and they don't even know it. They're blind to it. That is, the fact is, when someone has a log in their eye, and they're totally unaware, what is, how do you explain that? They're blind. They don't have right vision. They don't understand their situation correctly. They don't see, as we'll see, these logs, these, these specks are really a, a, a metaphors for, for sin in our lives. And the, the hilarious thing is this guy, in his blindness, he has a log in his eye, is so concerned about, hey, the speck, I see the speck in your eye over there. Yes, you, Justin. I see it. You'd say, well, that guy's crazy. Oh, I see you, George. I see the speck. You got, you got something in your eye. Yeah, you're supposed to laugh. That's pretty funny, I thought. Okay, anyways. All right, all right. Sorry, no laughter in this church. Okay, sorry. Hmm. That always gets a laugh. All right, anyways. Yeah. And, the, and then on top of that, they're, they're just busy trying to get the speck out of their brother's eye, like over there, and when they just completely are not aware of the log in their own, right? And Jesus calls it, what does he call this? He calls it hypocrisy. You know, he calls it hypocrisy. He says, you hypocrite. Here you are trying to point out somebody else's little sin over there, and you got this big sin in your own life. 
and that's hypocrisy. But Jesus doesn't say, well, okay, he's not saying, well, you shouldn't correct anybody. We, we all need one another to correct it because we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. Thankful for, you know, the, God, the man God puts in my life and oh, the wife especially. <laughs> the God puts in my life to show me my blind spots. What's Jesus' advice for us in this situation? Take your own log out of your eye first. Look at your own life first. Look out for the sins in your own life first. Deal with the sins in your life first. Repent of your sins. Confess of your sins. Turn away from your sins and follow Christ. And then you will see clearly to help your brother or sister remove the speck out of their eyes. See, if you aren't resolving the sins of your own life, you can't help resolve the sins in others' lives. It's too hard. Your sins will, will, will make you, your own law will keep you blind to seeing clearly to help another. And what's more, not only does God, Jesus call that hypocrisy, but the person who you're correcting is going to call you a hypocrite too, probably. Unless they love you, then they'll point that out to you as well. So how's your vision as a disciple of Christ, right? We're talking about our vision. Our eyes, and really, it's not really what we see, but are we seeing the truths of Christ? And are we living in light of it? Are we seeing our own lives in light of the, the truths of Christ? Is your life characterized by seeing, understanding, and living out the truths of Christ? Or are you blind and not living out Christ's teaching at all? Well, let's be faithful followers of Christ who are able to see clearly so that we might teach, model, and lead others to follow Jesus. Now, I want to add, especially because I, I got convicted about this, I would add that this is especially important for the leaders of Christ's church. Those of us who are pastors, elders, many of you ministry leaders out there, we must watch, take a good, pay attention to our own lives, look out for the logs that are in our eyes, here we are. We know we're shepherds. We know we're to encourage people to follow Christ. But let's make sure we have resolved our own sin issues, especially those major ones. Okay? That we not allow things to, to fester, to continue unrepentant of. Because if we don't, given enough time, this church, the church or the people that we shepherd will become like us, good or bad, right? And if I have allowed myself to have pride, if I have a lot of arrogance, I've, I'll, I'll know, I don't, I, I'm, uh, I'm contentious, well, guess what the church is going to be like? They're going to be full of pride, contentious, arrogant, because they're watching me, and I'm supposed to be the example of following Christ. Let us be humble, self-examining, and obedient followers of Christ, brothers and sisters. Now, Jesus' parables, these uh, encourage us to, to take a look at the, our vision, our exam. But his, he, conti- he continues to cause us to have a, take a second kind of examination in, his par- in the parables in verse 43 to 45. And that is an examination of our heart. We need to always have heart exams. Uh, and whereas the, the first a par- the first uh, exam was kind of based on the parables of, of vision, of sight, eyesight. The heart exam really has focused on the main parable or thoughts of, of fruit, the bearing fruit, fruit trees and things like that. We see this in verse 43 to 44. Verse 43, let's look at the scriptures. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, 
nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. So Jesus now turns this imagery of fruit trees and fruit they produce. And we're not a, you know, we're very agricultural out here in uh, San Francisco, right? Uh, Not really. But we all get the idea, I think. Uh, We all maybe grow little plants here, a little kumquat tree here, lemon tree here, a little plum tree there, something like that. And so we can get it, you know, the the, the idea is that as a general rule, the character of a tree is going to affect the character of its fruit. And even if it's a, I have a lemon tree, you know, I can tell in some years it's, uh, it bears a lot of lemons, okay? And they say, oh, that's a healthy lemon tree. And some years, it's, it's not bearing many lemons. I can tell, oh, I've done something wrong. I probably trimmed it too much. and I've made this an unhealthy lemon tree. But the condition of a tree is going to affect the condition of its fruit. Good trees that generally produce are not going to produce bad fruit, and nor do bad trees generally produce good fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And so thus Jesus says, each tree is known by its own fruit. People are going to look at the trees and they're going to, say, they're going to see what kind of tree it is. Oh, it's a lemon tree, or it's a kumquat tree, or an avocado tree, or something like that. And they're going, to, they're going to know how healthy it is by the quality of those fruits even. Certainly you're not going to go find figs or grapes on a thorn bush or a briar bush. Why? Because figs are found on fig trees, and grapes are found on uh, grape, uh, grape vines. Now, certainly, this is, I think this is a basic image, uh, agriculture imagery. We get that. And, but the meaning is a, is a bit more subtle because this imagery is actually used somewhere else. And I really appreciated uh, the scripture reading this morning because you nailed exactly what passage I would like to have read. Because we find in, in Jesus preaches in his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, he will use similar imagery. But even when he uses similar imagery, he doesn't always apply the exact same purpose or meaning for it, the intention for it. The imagery, you understand the imagery, it's the same, okay? If good tree bears good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. But what is he saying in each one? For instance, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw there that it, the whole parable of the good tree, uh, good fruits is so that the disciples or the citizens of the kingdom would watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false teachers. And you will know them by their fruits. What do we see here? This is a quite a different thing. Jesus is not warning us of false prophets, but rather these verses are really a challenge for disciples to check out the condition of their own hearts. He's saying, what kind of tree are you? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Jesus elaborates in verse 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Here's where we see the word heart. We see it mentioned twice. Uh, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And even, uh, uh, and then we see the word heart again at the end. Jesus applies his parable of the fruit, fruit trees to men and women too. There are Just as there are good trees and bad trees, there are good men and bad men, or evil men in this case. And he says that the good man whose heart is, is good or has a good treasure brings forth out of that good treasure things that are good. Because uh, in their heart they have a treasure of good. A thesaurus is actually the word thesaurus of good. It's, it's just a treasury of good. 
And while the evil man, out of their heart, out of the overflow, if this is like the treasure of evil in there, that comes forth as evil. Now, I know some of you are already good Bible people say, wait a moment, all our hearts are evil. We're all sinners, and that's why nothing good is in our hearts. But Jesus is using this to speak about those who have been redeemed and converted by Christ, those who have been regenerated, those who have a new life. And because what God takes the heart of stone and he puts a softened heart in there, a heart that is now enabled to obey, has the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. These are good things. And these are, it's like a treasure, and it's so great of a treasure that it can't help but out overflow into our lives. Out of the treasures of your heart come out good or evil, depending on what that treasure is in there. Now, while we could think that these things, uh, whether good or bad, or they could refer to actions, and they can, the last phrase in verse 45 indicates that Jesus is particularly referring to one's words. He's particularly thinking about, because we were disciple makers who are speaking on his behalf, teaching truths, he's thinking primarily of what comes out of our mouth. Uh, I mentioned heart earlier, uh, the, uh, but the heart refers to a person at who they are in their, at, their, at their center, their core. It's sort of like their, their, their base level. It's who you are in your deepest thoughts and being. It's your default. It's your mission control center of your life. So that which comes out of your mouth is an overflow from the heart. Now I know all of us can, you know, if you, if you just have a conversation with me after service, I'll probably say all the right things. But you hang around me long enough, give enough time, converse with me, you'll probably start hearing not just the, the good things that you expect the pastor to say, you know, uh, but you're going to hear the things that may not even be so honoring to Christ. Yes, I sin. In fact, we can do that with a lot of people. I can, in fact, I got an illustration of this because my kids, I just can ask them, uh, should we obey God? And they say yes, you know. And every once in a while, I can. And I'm, training, I'm trying to teach them a lot of things about saying the right things. I'm trying to teach them to say please and thank you. And you know, that's every parent's trying to teach their kids that, right? I hope. Um, and sometimes they'll they'll remember. Once in a while, they'll say please, and once in a while, they'll say thank you. But inevitably, if you listen to them long enough, you know what comes out eventually? I want this. I want that. I want that. I want more peas. Or oh no, not peas. I want more. Uh, you know, chicken, or I want more bread, or I want more cheese. It's just want, 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 because that's what's in their heart, right? You listen long enough to all kids, all of us, actually, you kind of hear what's in our heart. That's what Jesus' point is. What, is the, what comes out of our mouth is the fruits of what's in our heart. It's not just words, but it includes actions. Brothers and sisters, examine your heart by looking at the fruit that it produces. The way you live and speak reveal the sort of person you are. As disciples of Christ, the, the fruit of your life in, in actions and speech will ought to, should reflect Christ in you, right? In us. And if it doesn't, then we need to ask ourselves honestly, very honestly, and very uh, sincerely, is my faith a genuine faith in Christ? Do I genuinely have Christ in me? Do I genuinely have a spirit dwelling within me? Because it should ref- my life should reflect that. Now, and it's possible for Christians to get caught up in sin and you know, and a period of long periods of, of rebellion. It's true. 
But the pattern, the overarching pattern of one's life should be a reflection of Jesus Christ and then the fruits that come out of our word, deeds and on our words. That's a hard example. Oh. Uh, passage that kind of reminds me just of the words that come out of our lips is Ephesians 4, 29 and 31. I like this verse. I'll just throw it up just because kind of like an application for us. And there Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. According to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, we're to have speech that is, that is wholesome speech, not unwholesome. We have the word that is good for edification, not good for tearing down. We're to have words that are appropriate in its time. We're to have words that will give grace to people instead of taking away grace, making them have to show grace to us because we offended them. And this kind of speech that comes out of our lips is is because of the Holy Spirit. That's why if you don't do that, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we have unwholesome speech, it grieves the Spirit of God. And that's what's in our, that he is in our hearts that controls us. Jesus just wants us to be disciple makers. He wants us to go and make disciples of teaching his words. So what fruit are we bearing? What's coming out of our mouths? And these are some of the things we can look, examine. Are we building up or tearing down? Are we speaking truth in love or speaking truth without love? Are we complaining or are we praising God? Are we speaking the good news of Jesus Christ or are we just speaking about ourselves? A lot of great questions we can just ask just introspectively about our, about our own, each and of, of ourselves. Lastly, we move on. Uh, we look at from the, the eye exam to the heart exam. There's a, Jesus' parables encourage us to a third and final exam. That's a, a hearing exam. Okay. Uh, most of us hear pretty well, probably, as we're growing up. And, uh, and then as we get older, we start going, oh, I can't hear so well. Uh, and so we need hearing exams. And this is kind of, and this, is, <clears throat> and this we see uh, in our text in verses 46 through 49. Here, this is built upon the parable of the, of the building foundation. I call it the parable of the building foundation. All right. Verse 46 is, is a very key verse. Verse, verse 46. There, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is actually the key verse of the whole, uh, this whole passage, this whole sermon today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is not, a, this is not even a parable. This is just Jesus explicitly saying, here's the issue. Why do you call me Lord, and don't obey what I say? It's like a, a, a mother or father. Why do you call me mom or dad when you don't even obey me? Why do you call me boss? If your boss comes and says, hey, I know you never obey me. Why do you call me boss? You don't even obey me all the time. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Now, Lord, some people say, oh, it just means it's like a, a it can be. And it is used of, of a term of kind of a polite form of address. Like we say, sir. But that doesn't fit the context here. This, you're not just calling Jesus sir because you're just being polite. Because he says, he repeats it. The repetition hints that there's something more here. This is not just someone who's respected, but this is someone who is recognized as a master. You call him Lord, Lord. There's an urgency to it. There's a, a recognition. Oh, the Lord is here. Someone whose words are matter. Someone whose words are to be followed. This is someone who's your master. And you are the, his servant or follower. This is your, he's your teacher and you are his student. And so Jesus asked directly, why do you call me Lord if you don't obey me? Now, if you say that we all, 
here we teach uh, oftentimes about the Lordship of Christ, that Jesus is Lord. Now, if you can believe in the Lordship of Christ over your life, then, then how can you not obey him, right? Well, many of us say, oh, did you believe in, I believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord at some point. We say that, but is he your Lord? Do you actually follow and obey his commands? When you think of, and here's some kind of just examination for our time, okay? Now, all of us would say, who here believes that Jesus is Lord? And you guys, you all would raise your hands, okay? Now, but the question is, do you live your life in such a way that reflects that Jesus is Lord? When you think of all that Jesus commands, all that Jesus taught, what are some of his, like, his big commands? That's kind of fun trivia. What's, what's his big, Jesus, big commands of Jesus? Well, we're talking about making disciples, so great commission. You can think of that one. Go, therefore, make disciples. That's, that's one of his commandments. Another commandment that Jesus is probably known for is the great commandment. People kept going to him, asking, what's the greatest commandment? What is it? Love yourself? Love the Lord your God with all your being, right? And then closely tied with that, the, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's equivalent to really the, when Jesus teaches in John 13, love one another. For in this way, they will, the world will know that you are my disciples. And then, but he takes, Jesus even takes it further in light of our sermon and our series here. Loving one another, loving your neighbor is really, you could take it to its ultimate stream is that we ought to love our enemies. That's one of the ones Jesus, a uh, well-known commands. Love your enemies. But then you know what? I, 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 was, I was thinking that probably the, the command, well, besides love, okay, that's, I think most people know, but the command that most of the world knows that Jesus taught, because they'll, they'll go quick to quote Jesus on this, is what? Do not judge, right? Do not judge. Don't be quick to judge me. A lot of times people, as soon as you try to uh, point that sin in someone's life, someone's going to say, do not judge. Who appoint you to judge over me? Do not judge. Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. Other ones. Yeah, I was wondering why. If you guys have any really good ones, let me know. Those are the top ones kill my head. But just ask yourself. Do I? Am I making disciples? If Jesus is Lord, is I, make, I call him Lord, Lord, but am I making disciples? Am I loving God with all my heart? And how do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul? Well, uh, it's usually through obedience, keeping his commandments. Am I loving my neighbors? Am I, do I love the people here in the body? Do I love my neighbor across the street, my, labor, my, my coworkers? Do I love my classmates? Do I love my uh, children, my family? Do I love my enemies? Uh, Am I, if I call Jesus Lord, am I one who doesn't, not quick to judge? Am I one who seeks after the kingdom of God? Or am I seeking after my own kingdom? You know, in our individualistic kind of, almost practically libertarian kind of world, you know, just do what is right in your own eye, kind of just, just, just doesn't, as long as it doesn't hurt nobody else, just go do whatever you want, makes you happy. And that sounds fine. But that is, that is not compatible with the Christian worldview. To, for one to say that they believe in Jesus, confess him as Lord, means they will ought to obey his commandments. You know, there's Christians who are out there who are out there say, well, you know, I just believe that I'm a Christian, but you know, Christ, the, my faith is a real private thing, and I would never, ever want to tell you about how you can, the faith that you ought to have when we're called to make disciples. 
And that includes telling others about how one can have put their faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. Let's, let us be people who don't just call him Lord, Lord, and, and then go about not doing what he says. Jesus illustrates this in verse 47 to 49. And this is where the parable comes in. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. And here's the parable. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus used the imagery of a building, a man building a house, and he really, basically, one who obeys Jesus, one who obeys his commands, is one who is like someone who builds a house, and when they build their house, they build their foundation on a solid rock, so that when the floods come and the rains come, that house stays standing. But the one who does not... Uh, who does not obey Jesus' commands, who calls him Lord, Lord, but doesn't obey, doesn't do what he says, is like one who builds a house, but just says, well, I'm just finding any flat ground. Oh, here's a nice little sandy beach. I'm going to just put it right here. Oh, here's this a pile of dirt. I'm just going to put it right here. And there's no foundation. And you know what happens when it rains, especially when there are floods and the water fills that land? That foundation's going to move. Well, there's no foundation. That dirt's going to move. And the house is going to eventually fall apart. It collapses. The ruin of the house was great. So every week, uh, uh, or so every week, we, in a sense, we come here and we are in the practice of building our houses. We're building our houses. We're gathering tools. You know, we're we're learning from God's word, etc. And here we come. We we worship together. We encourage fellowship with one another. But the question is, how well are you building your house? Are you building it well? Are you building it upon the foundation of Christ and his teachings? Are you building it upon a foundation of basically none of that, disobedience? You know, we, we as a Bible church, and I, I know I've said this many times, but I, I think it's true because I, I, can, I can feel it in my own heart at times, and I, therefore I believe because we're human, you at times feel the same. Central to the, this, the ministry of this church, our worship, is the teaching of God's word. Okay? Those of you who are visitors with us, now you know. Okay, That's what we're about here. Bible Church, we teach God's word. You'll have it not only in the sermons. You'll have it in the songs. You'll have it if you can go to Sunday school classes. We're going to have a lot of teaching. And that's great because we hear it. The question is, do we hear it and then forget it? Or do we hear it, listen to it, and then live it out? Right? Are we doing that? Are we hearing and obeying? What kind of hearing are we doing even now? Are we hearing and then simply going out of our week, say, I, I did my worship, I'm good with God, I, I, I'm good with Jesus, and now let's go eat. If we're simply hearing and then doing nothing about it, that is the same as simply disobeying it, or neglecting it. And the encouragement for all of us, myself included, is that we would, whenever we hear any teaching of God's word, even the songs that we sing, we should always be meditating upon that and thinking how we might live in light of God's word. 
Is there some application I might draw out of that? Some way I can change. Even if I don't give you an application, I know I'm not the best applicational preacher, okay? I'll just tell you what the thing was. That's what God's word says. You, but you can meditate on it. But Jesus wants us to know, are you going to obey? Parables, will you hear and obey? Build your house on the solid rock. I'll leave uh, in this section just with a quote I came across. This is a, a guy named Jeffrey O'Hara. He was actually a, a, a right, composer of sorts. So even this, I, maybe put it to a song, I don't know, it's just, but it's a, like a poem. And uh, I think he was from the 1800s or so. And he says this, uh, forgive the old English, ye call me the way and walk me not. Ye call me the life and live me not. Ye call me master and obey me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn thee, blame me, blame me not. If we call Jesus our Lord, let us be people who obey him, who follow his commands. And we don't follow because we're guilty. We don't follow because we, we have to. Like, uh, we don't follow because well, I'm fearful of God. God's, but we follow him because why? Because we love him. Because we understand what Jesus did for us, that he, what God did for us, and that he sent us his son, and he died in our place, paying the infinite price for our sins that none of us could pay. Jesus died in our place so that we could enter into heaven and be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we obey. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Plain, has basically painted for us two ways to live. Two ways to live. For those who identify as Jesus' disciples. He's talking to his disciples. That's everyone here. If you name the name Christ, you, I'm a Christian. Jesus wants you to know there's two ways to live now. Which way are you living in this world that hates Jesus and hates those who follow him, there is a way of following Jesus that evolves at times becoming poor, hungry, weeping, and hated by men. And Jesus says this way is a way of blessing. And then Jesus says there is a way of those who are disciples of Christ that involves being rich, filled, laughter, and being praised by men. But Jesus says that this is the way of woe, curse. The way of blessing is clearly the harder path. For it means being faithful to Jesus' call to make disciples. It means being faithful to the message that he has entrusted to us that we know we are to then faithfully share with others and tell others about. It means we are to live and obey Christ's commands. And though the world may hate you for being faithful to Jesus, Jesus clearly teaches us in his sermon to not pay back evil with good, or with evil, but we are to pay back evil with good. He calls us to love our enemies, love those who are hostile toward us, even though we may be tempted to seek revenge. Along with that love, Jesus calls his disciples then to obey his commands. And as you examine your life, do you find a life that reflects obedience to him? A life that reflects 
the treasure in your heart. I hope that treasure is Christ. Hope that treasure is Christ and that outflows in your life the words of Christ, a speech that is Christ-like. And it outflows in, in actions that is that are the, the, the deeds of Christ that reflect who Christ is and what he's done. Because for such a testimony of our lives will match the gospel message which Jesus Christ came to proclaim and which he has entrusted to you and me as his followers on earth. Of followers here on earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this sermon that equips us that how to live in a world that hates you, hates your son. And God, we, we know that uh, maybe in this country we do not face the, the extreme persecution that many of our saints in, in China or Nepal or in some of the Middle East countries are facing. But Lord, nevertheless, there is a form of persecution for those who follow Christ. Those who stand up for your truth. Those who speak your truth in love even. In humility. Yet the world will still hate. They cannot accept that you are the only way. They cannot accept that they are sinners. They will not accept that they are going to hell without Christ. They do not accept that there is a God who tells us how we are to live, how we are to walk in this world. They do not accept that there is a purpose to our lives that is greater than anything we could dream, but a purpose that you created us for, a purpose that we might walk in. So Lord, help us. Help us to follow after and heed Christ's instructions in this sermon. Help us to be people who are, understand the prom, remember the promise of blessing for those who walk faithfully in Christ on his behalf. Help us to love our enemies even when they may treat us poorly. And help us, to Lord, to observe all of Christ's commands that we have reflections of Christ in us. And God, we pray that you, as you do this for, in our lives as a church, that you will use us now to be a salt and light in this corner of our world. Father, I thank you for the, 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 those who you brought in with us today. And Lord, I, I, would, I know that many of them are already named the Christ, but if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, Father, we pray that you would open up their eyes, that you would cast off the blindness that the God of this world has put upon their, their vision and open up their eyes so they might see the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for them, that they too might join us in this life together on earth for the name of Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Uh, you can, we'll see you next week.